Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Well, we started, I started last week uh, in a new series, and I want to continue on in that vein uh, today and just talk to you, just being real today, we're talking realities of life and, and, and so forth, and um, rising above our adversity is what our t- topic is, and I uh, just kind of catch you up, maybe you weren't here last week, or uh, also encourage you just to catch the, the uh, podcast that we have if, you're, if you miss a Sunday for whatever reason, but I, I believe that God created us to flourish that, that, that he, he did. He's created us to flourish, not to flounder around in this thing called life. He, he created us to flourish, and I believe that. But also, and I mentioned last week, that everything that happens to us, God either allows it or he initiates it. So it goes through the God's screen, so to speak. So those are the things that we know and understand. And I also talked about that the essence of God is that he's good. He is a good God. And we sang about that this morning, and understand that, that that is so important in our life, that we understand He is a good God, and that God is good to me. He's good to you. Last week, we said together in unison, we said, God is good. That was three words. This week, we're going to up it to five words, because I believe you can do it this week. So on the count of three, we're going to say, God is good to me. Okay, can we do that? Um, one, two, three. God is good to me. Good. You guys, you're, you're doing great. That's awesome. Beverly, good job. God is good to me. <laughs> With that being said, we must understand that adversity is part of life. Uh, not one of us have missed out on the opportunity to have adversity in our life. Would we choose to? Uh, yes, we would love to skip that part. But that is part of life. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. And there was a saying that I said last week that a smooth sea never makes a skilled sailor. And so for all of us, if we've never been through rough waters, we wouldn't know how to navigate, right? And we wouldn't gain the, the wisdom and the knowledge to do that. And so God allows us to go through rough seas for a reason, it's so that we have the experience coming out, and uh, we can also, and it helps us in working and talking with other people and encouraging other people. We know that Jesus is more than capable of calming the storm. We know that. We read, we read it in the Bible. We read it in the Bible. He can do that. He's more than capable of doing that. But most of the time, he chooses the storm to proceed, and he is in the storm, but it, the storms happen. And, but any time he could calm it. But what he does, though, when he does calm it, it's to demonstrate his power. He does that quite frequently. But he doesn't always calm the storm. And so understand that we're going to go through storms and adversity in our life. And so God allows those things to play out in order for us to grow spiritually. We grow in wisdom. We grow in understanding, those kinds of things. And so if we bail in the midst of adversity, we miss Something. If we, if we try to exit out of that and we just say, I'm packing it up, I'm leaving, I, I, I don't, this God thing, I don't know, he's not that good, 
we'll miss out on God's purpose for us. We'll miss out on his plan for our life. We'll also miss out on the wisdom that we would gain in the process. Lord, I pray this morning as we go through a few more things and we talk about adversity, we talk about your goodness. God, that each one of us, we have that place in our heart that needs to be touched this morning, that that would link to our thought process. Lord, it wouldn't just be something that comes to our mind but goes deep into our heart, God, that there, that's where, where you live and you, you breathe in us, God, in, in, in our heart level, God. And so I pray this morning that we, as things come into our ears, that they would go not just stop at our mind but get into our heart, those things that you have for us today. We thank you again for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There is a story of a man uh, who went through a, a unique type of adversity in his life. Uh, his name was Robert Lincoln, and he was the son of President Abraham Lincoln. And one day, Robert was in a hurry to get on a train in New Jersey, and the train started pulling out. And Robert quickly leaped and tried to grab onto the train as it was going. And uh, he didn't quite catch on there very well, and the train's moving, and he started to slip and fall off, and a man reached out and grabbed him by the jacket and was able to pull him back onto the train. This man, his name was Edwin Booth, and so uh, Edwin basically saved him from potential danger. Well, a few days later, Edwin gets a letter in the mail from Abraham Lincoln thanking him profusely for keeping his son from serious harm or, or danger. And Edwin Booth was a man, in those days, he was becoming very famous. He was considered probably the lead number one actor in the United States or in America at the time. He was quickly rising through the ranks and was considered excellent at his craft and was best at his craft. Well, in less than a year... Edwin went into great adversity. He was dealing with anguish, and he was dealing with heartache, and he was dealing with confusion. A lot of things that had happened that set Edwin back. And it was because that on April 14th in 1865, his brother, John Wilkes Booth, shot the president in the back of the head. We know that story. That put him into a pretty pretty low place in his life. A person who was well-known, famous, God-fearing man, a Christian, had friends with a lot of high-ranking people. He knew a lot of people. And now he was in the midst of this adversity, right in the middle of what was a good, a good time in his life. Not by any choice that he made, but a mistake that, or a bad choice that his brother had made. In fact, his brother had already had some inclinations to uh, and his brother was an actor, too, uh, but had some inclinations to have hatred toward the president. And what had happened was, just about four days before that, the president did something pretty amazing, who got up before people and gave the, basically the speech and said, we're ending some of these things that are creating problems in our nation. We, and he lifted the ban on African Americans from voting and said, hey, these are, these are people just like everybody else. They deserve the right to vote as well. And so he created this. Well, that upset John Wilkes Booth to the point where he had actually leaned over to somebody because he was there and said, that's the last speech he will ever make. And didn't know it, but three days later that he had shot and killed President Lincoln. There was a, 
a letter that ended up being published in the Boston papers on April 15th, which he actually died, shot on April 14th, died on April 15th. But it was a letter that Edwin Booth had actually written to a really good friend of his who was a fellow actor. And uh, he was set to do some things with him, work with him on some projects and stuff. That uh, says, my dear sir, with deepest sorrow and great agitation, I thank you for relieving me from my engagement with yourself and the public. The news of the morning has made me wretched indeed, not only because I have received the unhappy tidings of the suspicions of a brother's crime, but because a good man and most justly honored and patriotic ruler has fallen in an hour, an hour of national joy by the hand of an assassin. The memory of the thousands who have fallen on the field in our common country's defense during this struggle cannot be forgotten by me even in this the most distressing day of my life. And I will most sincerely pray that the victories we have already won may stay the brand of war and the tide of loyal blood. While mourning in common with all other loyal hearts the death of the president, I am oppressed by a private woe not to be expressed in words. But whatever calamity may fall before me or mine, my country, one and indivisible, has been my warmest devotion. Edwin Booth. And this was uh, a letter that he wrote to his friend, and it somehow ended up in the Boston paper. But it's just interesting, the adversity. And that was his story and his adversity. And we have all those stories in our life of the adversity. And a lot of them are not by any, they just come to us, not by any reason or deserving for any case. There was a judge that was a good friend of his, Supreme Court judge in New York, that had written him a letter and just, and just really showing his sympathy to him. And there, there was a lot of things that happened during that time, the sensitivity of what was going on. And, and this judge was talking about how encourage him, put your trust in God. Put your trust in God, the, the, the creator of the universe, during this time. And so eventually, a few months later, Edwin was able to a rally with friends, encouragement, with God's help to come back to the, the job and the work that he loved so much and that he was so good at. And he became the very first American to have his bust of him that was displayed as far as the, the became famous and had that bust made of him, was the first person to have that done. But it's interesting in, in his life and how he was able to go through that adversity that did not know was coming in his life. I wanted to go back to the scripture that I read last week and just read a couple verses of it out of 2 Corinthians. This is with Paul, and we talked about this last week. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 8, Paul says this. He said, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. This is something that we need to grab a hold of in our life. There's something that maybe we have, an adversity that we're going through, and we're asking God, please, please, I'm done with this. I need this to go away. And, but yet, we don't under, fully understand the big picture. And so in that process, God's saying, hey, I, I'm with you, but I'm going to allow you to walk through this thing because there's some good things that are going to happen. And Paul recognized that God's power works best in his weakness said, so I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness 
and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and trouble that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's where we need to be in that place. So I wanted to, to hit a couple of practical things of having a thorn. Uh, Paul was referring to a thorn in his flesh. And, and as I was sharing last week, it very well could be the, the, flack, the fact that he had challenges with his eyesight. And it was very difficult for him. But that was something that, that God allowed to stay with Paul throughout his life. So he referred to as a thorn in, the, in his flesh. First of all, a practical lesson in this, that spiritual blessings are more important than physical blessings. That's God's heart is to really touch our heart and for us spiritually to grow and to, to mature in that way. There's physical things that happen to us, but the most important for us is the spiritual aspect of our life. The next point is unanswered prayers do not always mean our need is not met. God always answers the need, even though it doesn't seem that he's answering the prayer. God knows our need, and he answers that. He's taking care of our need, but we see it as, God, you didn't answer my prayer. And you know what? He always answers. He always meets the need. It's just how he does it may not be the way that we see it should be done, and that's just God's prerogative in that. The other thing is the weakness is strength if God is in it. If God is in something, our weakness becomes our strength because he becomes our strength in that challenge, in that adversity. Then the next one is there is grace to meet every need. God's grace is sufficient to meet every need, absolutely. And we need to trust him. And again, knowing that he is a good God. The struggle of life really for each of us really truly becomes one of our greatest blessings ultimately does. And we can't see it when we're in it. God, how can this be a blessing to me? But the struggle of life, the struggles we go through can become our greatest blessings, the greatest things that we can receive. It makes us patient, sensitive. It makes us, uh, it builds character in us. It, it dig, goes deep in, and allows us to be able to stand when the winds of adversity come and blow, uh, try to blow us off course. There's a lot of things that happen that keep us solid and stable and we become more godlike through the process as we're following him. The world, as we see it, we know, are full of sufferers. We see that. But I'll tell you today that also the world is full of overcomers. And that's what he's called us to become, overcomers. We are overcomers. And, and he gives us the grace. He gives us the ability to overcome in those situations. And he sometimes has to carry us through them. Sometimes he walks alongside, you know, depends on the situation. But he's always there. He'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. So you are an overcomer. Now, we see when we read read this story of Paul, he wasn't healed. He wasn't healed. And it wasn't because Paul lacked faith or he had sin issues or something. Because so many times we we, we try to point to things, like figure out, okay, why didn't that happen in somebody's life? Why wasn't so-and-so healed? They must have not had the faith, or they must have had sin in their life. There was something blocking. And I I hear this occasionally, not in this church, of course, and that's good. But I hear occasionally, like, people will say something like, well, so-and-so must have sin in their life because they're not being healed, or they just don't have the faith. And and I just don't believe that's how God works. And and so the story of Paul reminds us, Paul was a man of faith. Paul was a, a believer, and he... so. It shows us that Christians can suffer through health issues. They can suffer, suffer through adversity and different things like that. 
and have difficulties, and it has nothing to do with sin or lack of faith. It's a process of life that we go through in understanding that that's really how it works. God has a purpose in permitting or uh, allowing or initiating things that happen in his life. There's a purpose. God is not up there just going, well, we'll just see what happens in their life. No, he already has a purpose. From, from the moment you're conceived, there's a purpose that God has for you. So he had a purpose in permitting Paul's suffering. And Paul tells you what he believes it to be was that he needed to remain humble. It, it was to keep him from becoming prideful. And so he understood that. And so he wasn't ashamed to say, this, I understand this. This is, what, this is what's going on. It didn't change his perspective on God and how much he loved God and understood God good, God's goodness. There's a scripture in John chapter 9, starting verse 1. This, God really chooses to demonstrate his power and how he wants to do it, and, and, and he does it in many ways. But this is really going along the line of what I was just sharing about. But in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Right away, they're going right after the sin issue. Wow, this, he's got to have an issue here. And what does Jesus say? He said, it wasn't because of his sins or his parents' sin, Jesus answered. He said, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. See, this is where the thing where God chooses when he wants to, because to demonstrate his power. And we always need to see those times. And he does, he's faithful at showing those times through our life, at demonstrating his power just to say, you know what, I can do this. I can do this, but there's sometimes that we don't, from our perspective, we don't see his power at work, but really is, because we don't see the results we want to see. And so we, we question that at times. And, you know, the Pharisees were all up in a wad about this thing, this whole thing, if you read the story, and, and they're all upset. They're challenging the guy, you know, talking about, well, how... You know, how could Jesus do this? He's just this sinner guy. I mean, Jesus has not, you know, he, he can't be the one doing this. He can't heal. He's just a sinner. And the man says, well, I don't know <laughs> if he was a sinner or whatever, but all I know is I couldn't see before, and now I can see. And this guy touched my life. And so there's such a religious spirit that was coming that, you know, well, this was the Sabbath, and this can't happen, or, God, God, or Jesus can't do that. Only God, we serve the God of Moses. And so there's all this questioning and everything. In the middle, right in the middle of all that, Jesus is like, boom, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to spit on some dirt. I'm going to rub it in the guy's eyes. And, you know, he's going to go wash it off. And he's going to have a testimony. Yeah. And he's trying to give this testimony. And there's things, but there was these hard-hearted people, these Pharisees, who just wouldn't buy into the fact that Jesus is a good God. He's a savior of the universe and that he can do this. And he can do it for anyone. And so I think for us, we, we got to accept the fact that, you know what, God is a good God. He loves us. He was looking to shake up the religious spirit, and he was looking to make believers. And guess what? He made this man into a believer. He did. He, and probably all of his friends, too. There was a purpose behind this whole thing. And so the fact that he healed a blind man, that's incredible. And Jesus can do that. There's two things that we can be confident of in this process. When we suffer, as we all do, we're going through adversity, understanding that God has a good purpose in that. He has a purpose. There's a good purpose in mind. And when we are weak, we are dependent on him. 
And that's something very important. And then the second thing is we can expect God to show his power in us and through us. We can expect that, and we should believe that. God, you're going to show your power in the midst of this situation no matter what, and, and believe that. You're going to use me to demonstrate it in me and through me. Because what do we do when God does something incredible? We want to share that with other people. In uh, Joseph, here's Joseph in the Old Testament. Somebody understood adversity right here. If you've ever read, read the story of Joseph, and I've read it many times, and I'm just in, every time I read it, I'm in awe of something. I find something, a nugget of something in there that's incredible. But I just wanted to read just a few verses out of uh, Genesis chapter 50. And to bring to your attention and then focus on the last verse. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. By now their father was dead. Joseph's brothers, by now that their father was dead, we already knew he was dead. Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did. I love it because they don't want to come to him with their ideas like, hey, we need you to forgive. It's like, your dad said, <laughs> we, need to, we need to do this. Forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin is treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Here's, this is the key, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. This is really the crux of it, that we must rise above adversity, just like we saw Joseph. Joseph understood. You know, he's, he's not blaming his brothers. He's saying, all of this needed, to, you intended for evil, but God intended this for good. You, you know, your, your thoughts were to harm me, but God had something much greater in store. And so we have to understand God has a much bigger picture of our life, and his purpose is much greater probably in, in the fulfillment, what he wants to do in our life. And we just don't see it with our little finite mind. And so we need to understand, as Joseph said here, it's so that he could see so many lives saved. And it's not just for us. There's a bigger picture here that God wants to do something. For a moment, I, I wanted to get back to the goodness of God. This is something that just keeps coming to me. And James presents some facts about the goodness of God in James chapter 1, verse 17. And then James says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So I want to bring up three points here in this. First of all, God gives only good gifts because that's the only type of gifts God knows how to give because he's a good God. He gives good gifts. Everything good in the world comes from God. If it's not good, it doesn't come from God. So it's easy for us to make that, you know, decipher. If it's not good, it's not from him. If it's good, it's from him. And so even though we may not see goodness in it, 
we, we need to understand that it's a good. And, and, and just like God allowed Paul's thorn in the flesh to remain with him in that, it seemed to be a strange gift, not a good gift. Yet it became a tremendous blessing to Paul in his life. So we need to, we need to understand how that works. The second thing is he gives constantly. And this is something important for us to understand. God gives constantly. He doesn't give just occasionally, but he's always giving good constantly. I think the challenge for us is receiving a lot of it. Is we, we devalue ourselves, or we don't feel like we're worthy, or I made this mistake, or, or you know, we, we kind of put all kinds of you know, things connected to that to take away the value of it. But he constantly gives, even when we don't see it as a gift, and we don't see that. There's many times we don't see that. He's still sending them. He's still giving them. There's a scripture. It's not listed on the, on the screen this morning, but it's 2 Corinthians 9.8. And I, and I have this in uh, God's word translation. But it says this, God will give you his constantly overflowing kindness. Constant. It's constant. It's, like, it's a good drip in constant. It's not an uh, agitating drip. It's a good drip. It's just constant kindness, constant kindness. Then when you always have everything you need, you can do more and more good things. The third thing is, God does not change. You understand that? God does not change. There's no shadows with the Father. There's no shadows with God. There's not a bait and switch stuff. There's not a, well, is that really God? Or is that, you know, what, what's going on here? Is this, he doesn't change. It's impossible for God to change. He can't change for the worse because he's holy. He can't change for the better because he's already perfect. So there, there's no changing him. And he doesn't change. We're the ones that change him a lot. We try to make him into, well, this person or that person. or you know, we, We're always messing with who God is, and he never changes. He cannot change. And so the light, the, the sun never stops shining. But we know that it, there's shadows, and there's, it goes because the earth rotation and, and trees, whatever it thinks, clouds, that there will be shadows and different things like that. But that doesn't happen with God. We are the ones that put those things there. He doesn't put them there. And so understanding that he doesn't change. And so if there's shadows that come between us and the Father, he didn't cause those shadows, okay? If there's things that are disappointing or discouraging, that's not from God. He's unchanging. So this means we should never question his love, his goodness. We should never question that about him in our situations. We shouldn't doubt him. And so when those difficult times come, discouraging times come, or the temptations appear, don't do it. I'm thinking of King David. The reality is that if David had remembered and really put in his thought process, in his mind, the goodness of God during those moments of weakness, instead of entertaining the thoughts from the evil one, he would have could have avoided the sin and the, the things that he found himself in with Bathsheba and her husband, all that stuff. If we are constantly meditating on the goodness of God and the good things of God, those other things are not going to be entertaining or, or they're not going to be something that we would go after. So it's so important to maintain that thought process in the heart for the, uh, the goodness of God. And Nathan addressed this to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. 
He said, then Nathan said to David, you are that man. He's talking about the man that, that committed these sins. He said, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. But David, for whatever reason, thought, I just need a little bit of something here I'm missing out on. God's through Nathan saying, hey, come on now. If there was something you needed, I would have given to you that. I've given that to you, and it would have been much more. It would have been much greater. Keep your thoughts on the goodness of God and his riches and what he has for you and not be entertained by the sidelines that the enemy tries to come and run up and down your sidelines of your life yelling at you to say, hey, come over here. Now, when you think about temptation like David went through, there's, there's a couple things. The first barrier, it could be an uh, understanding, is a negative one that in our thought process. The barrier for temptation is the judgment of God. So we don't fall that into that temptation because we're fearful of God's judgment. And that can be good. There's a healthy fear of the Lord that we have in that regard. But there's also, the second one is really a positive thing in regards to this, and that is God's goodness. And we avoid the temptation because we know about and we understand the goodness of God. And so we know that's much better than falling into that. And so knowing God is so good, and having a healthy fear of God is good, and having that attitude, but God's love is really a balancing factor for us, and it comes in, and here's the thing. We can obey God because we're scared that he'll chasten us or that he's going to, you know, hammer on us. We can do it that way, or we can obey God because of his love and his goodness and how much we are so in love with him and, and so want to please him. That, that's a much better way to look at it. Because I, I think we can come up with this other side of it is we, try to, we struggle in this whole area of obedience to God, but we come at it from the wrong perspective. It, we come at it from the perspective that we're, we're going to be disciplined or we're, it, we're fearful that God might do something to us. Instead of being in that camp, we're saying, I want to I be obedient because of the goodness of God and the love of God in my life. And he gave his life for me. He's so generous with things in my life. He's a loving, good, generous God. Joseph had that understanding that it was God's goodness, and it was, he wanted to honor God and, and be in obedience. It, he had a positive attitude in the whole process of what Joseph had to go through, the ups and downs and all the things, the adversity he went through that were not even close to being anything that he did to deserve those things. There's another area with Joseph, with Potiphar's wife, when she was tempting him. And he says to her in Genesis 39, verse 8 and 9, she's telling her, look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He understood that was what was given to him. He said, he had held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Joseph knew that all these blessings that were happening, were, were, they came from God. They were because of God. It was the goodness of God through the hands of his employer, Potiphar, that restrained him in the hour of temptation. He, it was God's goodness that kept him from going, oh, okay, 
I will go into this temptation. It wasn't a fear of punishment. It was, it was his understanding of God was so good and I've been so blessed. Why would I want to hurt my father? And so that, that's the perspective and the attitude that we need to have in our walk with the Lord. God's gifts are always, always better than Satan's supposed bargains. He's always trying to give us these little, you know, things telling us, oh, you know, you got to try this, you got to do this, and it's supposedly, it looks good. But Satan never, ever, ever, ever gives a good gift. Never. He never gives a good gift. When I think, boy, we, that's something we need to learn because somehow we, you know, and then if we do take those, whatever the bargains are from the enemy, we pay dearly. We end up paying dearly for it. And so first, right out of the gate again, we serve a good God and he is good and we want to please him. I'm just about done here for this morning. There's a scripture in Proverbs 10, 22. I like this scripture. It says, the blessings of the Lord make a person rich and he adds no sorrow with it. That's good. His blessings make us rich. We are rich people in him. And guess what? He doesn't add any sorrow. He doesn't add sorrow with it. You know, you think of Achan uh, in the Bible where he took the spoils and buried them under his tent, thinking, hey, I'm going to get rich. I'm going to gain something here. And the reality, it became a sorrow for him, and it became false a false sense of richness, and it cost him his life and his family. You think about that for, for a moment, thinking, oh, I'll do this. This is, what, this is my quick way to, to do this. But it turned his temporary riches into poverty and, and into death. I would say the next time that, that we are tempted or we're going through adversity, let's meditate on God's goodness. Amen. Let's meditate on his goodness if you think you really need something, wait on the Lord to provide it, because he will. You wait on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, which is one of the most difficult things to do, but waiting on him, and he is our provision in that process. Never, ever, ever toy with the enemy's bait, with Satan's bait. Don't toy with it. And I told you this story last week about the rat in the shed, but there's there's bait that he puts out. And it looks good, smells good, everything about it seems good, and it's not good. And uh, our purpose for going through temptation or diversity is to teach us, a lot of times, to teach us patience. Boy, that's a hard one. Be a little more patient. Be a little more patient. God, I don't want, I'm tired of being patient. I'm tired of being patient. I need the answer. David was tempted a couple times to kill Saul, and he had every reason, probably every right to do it. But he restrained himself. He was patient through the process because ultimately God's purpose needed to be fulfilled, not David's purpose or anybody else's purpose that was chirping in his ear. So let's not listen to the outside voices, the verse, you know, that we're going through stuff. Let's listen to the King of Kings and let's be patient. And he, he's a good God. Remember that. I would worship team if you'd come as we conclude this morning. I want to, Christian, if you jump with me just to the last scripture on Romans chapter 8. Let me read just a couple verses here out of Romans chapter 8, and uh, starting in verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. I love that. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. That's a good scripture. We stand with me this morning. In closing, we're going to sing this song. Do it again. But adversity. Adversity. Some of you have been through it. Some are going through it now. And some will go through it in the future. But we have to trust and believe in the goodness of God in the midst of our adversity. We've seen him do amazing things and we want him to see him do it again. Yes, and he will. But we need to line up with him and his purpose and not have, trying to continue to try to get him to line up to our purpose and our will. Amen. Let's sing this together. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 